0: welcome back to another episode of back to the futures the official podcast of the futures league presented by 78 sports my name is owen shadrick very happy to have you all back watching or listening let's dig into news this week from the futures league we start at vanderbilt where former norwich unicorns chris Maldonado is off to a hot start hitting 278 with four doubles four rbis and eight games played congratulations to chris we had Jonathan Santucci tossing out 11 strikeouts through four innings for the Duke Blue Devils, the former Worcester Braveheart, getting it done on the hill. We had a SportsCenter Top 10 play from former Vermont like monster Justin Rubin. We had Sal Frey like doing it all and continuing his success for Team Italy in the World Baseball Classic. Sal, we're rooting for you. We might be Team USA here as a United States Baseball League, but we're rooting for you, we promise. Other Lake Monster news, Colby Brulette, a member of the Lake Monsters since their inauguration into the league in 2021, is back for the 2023 season, so the three time he will be a three-time veteran. And the Lake Monsters also announced new bracelets. Dig in for Pete. They are $5. They can be purchased through the Vermont Lake Monsters store on their website. We will also put the link in the caption below on this podcast. Please continue your support for Pete as he battles brain cancer. On this episode of Back to the Futures, we have Norwich Sea Unicorns general manager Lee Walter Jr. We loved having him on the show and hearing his perspective about being in the GM seat after being with the organization since 2018. He talks about promotion schedules this summer, the roster buildup for the Sea Unicorns, how he got into the position that he is in, and we had to throw in some questions about the new major league rules as well. We thank Lee again for coming on. We want to get you to this interview. So here is Lee Walter Jr. We are honored to be joined by our next guest here on Back to the Futures. He is the general manager of the Norwich Sea Unicorns. It's Lee Walter Jr. Lee, how you doing today? Doing well today, Owen. Thank you. How are you? Doing great, man. Ready for this episode here. And we'll get started right away. You've been with the Sea Unicorns since 20- 2018, but before last season, you were named the team's general manager. What did that promotion mean to you?
1: Well, it meant a lot. Um, you know, obviously we we went through a transition here with, you know, losing our minor league affiliation and then joining the Futures League, which has been great for us. And uh, you know, continued to have a lot of change with you know front office personnel leaving, to, you know, throughout the time changes. And you know, so to, to be promoted to GM was was awesome. Uh, it's something that I really wanted, felt I was ready for, and, and thankfully everybody else agreed. And you know, here we are.
0: And those changes you talked about, how do you deal with them as someone who's continued to shift positions and move up in, in the uh, senior unicorn organization?
1: Well, I mean, it's uh, it's just one of those things, you know, you, you, you learn to adapt. What's great about baseball at this level is, you know, it's, it's all hands on deck. So everybody kind of has a, a hand in what's going on throughout the organization. And so, um, you know, that combined with previous experiences in my life really kind of prepared me for this and, and to be ready to do this and, and it was a pretty seamless transition
0: yeah we will get to your background a little bit later on in the show but the shoes you filled were pretty big shoes from cj Newton and dade Skirmerhorn, who made their way up to vermont what have the two of them taught you about being in this position as a general manager and what was it like working for the two of them
1: yeah you're, you're definitely right about the big shoes to fill cj and dave have been here with the organization for 10 years uh, CJ, you know, obviously had previous experiences working in Vermont as well. And, you know, and Dave worked his way up from, you know, being an intern the last year of the A team here to, you know, being the community uh, community engagement guy, I think it was, and then working his way up to GM and, you know, being able to work with both of those guys for a couple of years on a day-to-day basis and see how they did things was, you know, awesome for me in terms of, you know, kind of developing my skill set for taking over this position um you know and i I couldn't be here without those guys for sure
0: yeah we're happy that those guys stayed in the futures league for sure in vermont and i've had a number of gms on the show before and i always ask them because i'm curious in terms of your perspective what is your day-to-day like as a general manager
1: well so it obviously varies depending on the time of the year uh you know since i've taken over as gm uh you know obviously last year it was a lot about uh, sponsorship sales and and trying to keep sponsors on board from previous years, try to find new sponsors, um, you know, working on the the promotional schedule and, you know, trying to hire people to to put in the right places for our organization. Then once you get into the season, you know, it's, it's a grind. And uh, one of the things that I've enjoyed doing, but shouldn't really be doing is a lot of the field work and, and grounds maintenance. Um, you know, we, we don't have a full-time groundskeeper here and, so I, I bring in some part-time people to help, but obviously that means that I end up doing a lot of that field work. And then obviously it's spending time with the fans during the game and overseeing and making sure everything's running smoothly, concessions, ticket office, merchandise store, all that kind of stuff. And then once we got to this past off season, I built our new website from scratch. Uh, it took me a good seven weeks of almost all day long working on that. And, you know, and then obviously again, the, the, same thing, sponsorship sales and, and promotional activity and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it really, really just kind of depends on the, the time of day or, or the time of the year. And, uh, you know, and then I'm also involved in a lot of other things, you know, in, ter- in the community too. So that takes up some a great deal of time. And But I enjoy doing it because it, it helps us out in the back end.
0: Yeah, that's great. And you mentioned the website. It looks great, by the way. You did a fantastic job on it. Appreciate that. And you beat me to it. I was going to ask, you're a man of many talents, and that includes groundskeeping and the groom work on the field. You're one of, I think, two or three GMs in the league that actually does that, which is funny that we have multiple GMs in that position. (laughs) For those wondering, I guess, well, you said that you don't have a full-time groundskeeper. What is, how did you kind of land on that position, especially now that you're still doing it?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, back in 2021, when we were, you know, still deliberating what league we were going to join, you know, people in our front office, we're finding new jobs just in case we didn't stick around. And, you know, we, we found out we were gonna be playing probably about three or so weeks before that 2021 season. And, you know, just as we found out about that, our, our groundskeeper who had been here for many years had landed another job uh, with the Worcester Red Sox as an assistant groundskeeper. And, you know, I thankfully had some experience working on the field from when I was in college as a, as a student assistant coach at Eastern and then, uh, you know, working the fields for my kids' Little League games and, you know, things like that. So as we were trying to find a groundskeeper for that season, I kind of just stepped up and did it because I was the only one that really knew enough about it and uh, was able to get through. And, and in that meantime, we've been still trying to find some people to to work on the field. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where when you're the only person that really knows the ins and outs of it, you, you kind of have to do it. So
0: yeah i'll never forget my first game at dodd stadium last year going oh where's lee and looking down on the field and being like and somebody pointing at you on the uh, on the tractor yeah yeah yeah
1: but it's fun though you know i i enjoy it it's the only downside to that part of it is that when i'm doing that after batting practice it obviously takes me away from being up on the concourse as fans are entering the stadium and you know not being able to interact with them at that time and you know, and that's why you know as soon as I get off the field I start making sure that I'm interacting with the fans as they're
0: as they're milling around. Of course. As I said, man of many talents.
1: Well, I don't know about talent, but uh, you know, you get the job done anyway you have to.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And you've talked about it, Dodd Stadium. It's a great place to play baseball. It's seen so much action over the years. What are your favorite memories from your times there? Well,
1: I mean it's uh you know, I've got a unique perspective, right? So um I can remember being a college student when the stadium opened back in 1995 and, and I used to come to some navigator games back then, uh, you know, and then seeing the transition over the years with the team name changes and then leave, losing double A, but picking up the New York Penn league team with the Connecticut tigers. And then even before my full time work here, I worked in the press box as a game day employee. I was their live stringer. And so I would enter all the play by play from the, from the official scorer. so. You know, I've seen some some good things here and obviously we're expecting to see more good things. But, you know, I think my favorite at this point obviously has to have been, you know, last year, my first year as GM. And, you know, having a a pretty successful opening night with almost 3000 people in the stands and then our very last night of the year with over 3000 people in the stands. And just to take that whole body of work in was was just a lot of fun and, and really exciting
0: yeah i remember being there for opening night last year and the crowd was electric it was it was so great to have that right off the bat in 2022 because you mentioned in 2021 how you guys it it was so quick the transition between you know everything that happened with the minor league affiliates to now being with the futures league and and it was great to see that kind of the full body of work and the roster as you said so i kind of want to ask about that because i know you had a little bit of uh say in that 2021 summer right before that started what was that like and what were the challenges that you guys faced being very very new to the futures league right before play started
1: yeah i mean that that was obviously very tough you know we like i said we lost our groundskeeper probably a day or so after we had announced that we were going to play in the, the futures league um you know we didn't know it at the time but dave was was actually you know starting to transition to vermont um you know so he was here on a daily basis early in the season but then as the season wore on he'd spend some time up in Vermont and come back here at times. And, you know, and, and so, and we also, you know, a lot of people might forget this, but we actually had two managers before the season even started that year. We'd initially hired Eric Campbell, um, a Norwich native who went on to play in the major leagues. And, you know, he fortunately for him got an opportunity to play with the Seattle Mariners and, and, you know, be able to go out on his terms. And then we were able to land Devin Bolensky uh, about a week later. And, um, so, you know, the roster construction that year, I didn't have a whole lot of say in because I was out on the field so much, uh, but I know it was tough, you know, for the guys that were involved in that and just kind of piecing it together. And, going you know, in. then unfortunately too, you know, not that I'm complaining about it anything that happened, but with me being out on the field, it took me away from doing the sales that, that I would have been doing that year. And um, so it made it a tough and challenging year, but rewarding at the end because we were able to get through and be fairly successful for only having a few weeks to get ready.
0: Yeah. It was just like another, it was another thing after another, as you said, with the manager (laughs) thing that like, that was kind of the cherry on top of everything that, you know, it was like, all right, here they are. And then this, this, and this, but yeah, you guys put on a great product that year and, and now it's, now you're two full years in. So ready for Ready for three.
1: Yeah, and year three we think is going to be a nice year for us. We're actually, um, you know, I know this won't air for a couple more days, but we're in the middle of a uh, sale for opening night tickets right now. Uh, we call it our Pie Day sale, where we sell reserve seats for three dollars and fourteen cents, and we've already sold over six hundred tickets, and we're not even we're barely past noontime right now, which is pretty amazing for opening night. And uh, so we're expecting a really good crowd, and got a lot, a lot of nice promos set up this year. So I think it's I think it's gonna be a really good year for us this year.
0: Yeah, Pi Day three one four. We're recording this on Tuesday the fourteenth. That's a, that's a great idea to to get yeah. some sales in the in there. Yeah, and
1: it's something we've done since our Connecticut Tigers days. So um, you know we brought it back last year uh, after obviously taking twenty twenty one off because we we didn't know we were playing at that point. And then, uh, you know so this will be the second year in a row as a futures league team that we're doing this sale. And you know last year we sold about seven hundred and fifty tickets for it. So we're we're gonna beat that number pretty handily this year.
0: Yeah, that's what we like to hear right there. Yeah. And Pi Day, you mentioned it. that's a promotion. I wanted to ask about the promotion schedule for this summer. I know it's a little early in the offseason here, but uh, anything notable on that list in terms of promotions for the summer?
1: Yeah, so actually a lot of it's already on the website now. Uh, we're going to continue to have eight firework shows. Uh, so opening night on Memorial Day, we'll have a firework show after the game. Uh, we have five Fridays that we're going to play at home. That's been our traditional firework night. Um, we're home on Monday, July 3rd, so we'll do our Independence Day fireworks that night. And then our last night of the season on Saturday, August 5th, we're going to do fireworks on that one as well. So that'll give us our total of eight fireworks shows. Uh, Every Saturday night home game this year, we're going to have live music before the game. So we're going to bring in a different local band every Saturday. We're going to open the gates an extra hour early, so at 4.30. And the band will play for 90 minutes prior to the game, which will be a lot of fun. And then uh, we're going to have some other promos too. You know, Sundays have always been our kids' fun day. Post game, they'll be able to run the bases and then uh, have a catch in the outfield as well. Um, Thursday nights, you know, almost everybody has some kind of thirsty Thursday promotion. And and this year we have the added benefit of, I worked with two local breweries to come up with a uh, collaboration beer for us that will feature on those Thursday nights, which will be awesome. Uh, Aptly named the beer to be named later. So we're going to actually run a contest through the season where people can uh, submit nominations for what the beer might be named following the season and, and going into next year um and then a few other things that we have on the docket a couple of our wednesdays we're gonna have an education day game and then we also have a camp day game every summer so those games will start at 11 a.m as opposed to the traditional 6 30 time and then our tuesdays we only have a few of those so we're gonna do two dollar tuesdays we're gonna we're gonna make a nice cheap night for everybody not that it's already not expensive but uh You know, two dollar tickets in the grandstand sections, two dollar parking, two dollar hot dogs, and some other two dollar features on Tuesday nights.
0: Yeah, that is a loaded group of promotions right there. But those will be fun, and and I remember, you know, specifically when I used to go to Connecticut Tiger games all the time, and the kids run the bases is always so much fun, and I know they love that and appreciate that. So one of the yeah, no, go ahead.
1: No, I was just gonna say it's it's a fun promotion, and you know, we used to have to have a catch prior to uh, a few years ago and we're going to bring that back because that was always a lot of fun to watch all the the families have a catch in the outfield afterwards as well
0: yeah it's going to be a great summer and i'm i'm excited for that beer name i think the fans are going to come up with some uh, some clever names and i'm excited to see what you guys uh you end up choosing for that yeah i
1: have no doubt about that and you know quite frankly too you know it wouldn't surprise me if several people say just keep it beer to be named later because it is such a unique thing and you know, obviously, I, I named that after the player to be named later, which is the most famous and most often traded player in baseball history. Right. You see that in almost every transaction at the major league level.
0: That's a good point. I think I'd actually vote for that, the beer to be named later, because it's a it's a baseball term, technically. It is, for sure. There you go. And before we get into your background, I do want to ask about roster construction for the summer. We've seen announcements for a couple of players. How is the team shaping up? And is there any player or pitcher in particular that fans should watch out for?
1: Well, so I'll tell you, you know, we've got a new manager this year, Kevin Murphy, uh, who is one of our assistant coaches this year. I, I've really left it up to him and the coaching staff to build most of that roster. Um, you know, they know the players better than I do at this point, being college coaches and, you know, having those connections with other coaches. So, you know, they're, they've done a great job. I, I know that I've seen a few players are off to some really good starts this spring at their schools. Um, you know, but as far as who to watch out for, I, I'm not even sure I could answer that at this point. So, um, you know, maybe we could circle back to that one at some point and and be able to put some stuff out there for who to
2: watch. We'll watch out for a player to be named later.
1: Yes. There you go.
2: (laughs) Hold on. We'll get right back to back to the futures, but first we want to share a message from our friends at 78 sports. Do you have kids playing baseball or softball? We all know practice time is limited, especially here in New England, not to mention the cost of lessons and cage time can add up very quickly. Save yourself time and money by giving your kids what they need to work on their game at home. Our friends at 78 sports can help you put together the perfect at home training setup, whether you want to start small with just a tee in a net or looking to set up a full cage with turf and a pitching machine, they have you covered. And I've used their stuff before. I've seen their facilities. They definitely cover everything. The team at 78 sports design and install hundreds of at home and commercial sports training facilities. So let them help you find the perfect setup for your space. Visit the 78 sports website at 78 sports.com. That's S E V E N T Y. The number eight sports.com for a limited time only. By just mentioning Back to the Futures, you'll receive a 10% discount off your order. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-Y, number eight, sports, dot com. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. And transitioning into your background, you started as business development manager
0: and then director of business development and then to GM. So I have a two-part question for you. Part one, how important do you believe growth is within an organization? Growing, starting out in a position and ending up in multiple positions and staying with the same company for a long period of time
1: yeah so that that's a, a obviously a very important thing i think that um you know obviously i i came here with a lot more sales experience than a lot of people who come into a minor league organization especially at a low level and you know it, it really helped me with the transition first off to coming into a place like this but i do think that there is a lot to be said for you know getting that quote-unquote entry-level position and working your way up because then you're really learning stuff from the ground floor as opposed to, you know, if you're an outside person coming in and jumping right into the GM job and, and overseeing some people who may have already been here and, you know, they they have a set way of doing things that, and it, you know, not to say that change isn't a good thing because obviously, you know, change is important, but you don't want to rock the boat too much, you know? And so it's best to kind of, in a lot of ways, come in and, see what's going on observe you know best practices and then formulate your own ideas as to what might be best so that as you move up the chain you can start to maybe see okay let's try these changes and if they don't work you can always revert back to, to something you've done before but um, you know somebody coming in from the outside they may come in because they've got a way of doing things where they've been before and it really kind of can rock the boat and, and create a lot of you know, well, we've never done it that way. Well, you're doing it my way kind of thing. And I don't want to see that.
0: Yeah, that's a great point is that the outside hire and and how that could affect uh, chemistry is, uh, for people that have worked there for a long time. As you said, you know, getting that entry-level position, getting involved and then moving up and seeing how it works from within the organization.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, and I, I just think that, you know, for a lot of younger people starting out, it's it's great to be able to say, okay, in my first, spot in my career i was able to start entry level and work my way up the ladder because that just helps your development you know completely and and you know even if you do move on to another organization or or even another you know job outside of what you're doing it it just shows that
0: you're willing to to learn and grow absolutely and you said it. many kids are getting these entry-level positions and and interning with these with all of our teams in the league and you know across base the baseball world with Asp- aspirations to be GMs, just like in the position that you're in right now. What is your advice to those uh, to those kids getting entry level positions about you know moving up and and potentially landing in a position like you have?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, great question. and and I get asked that question a lot, whether it's talking to a high school class or a college class or or interns or, or you know whatever. um but you know my my biggest things is to tell people, listen, don't just do the job you were hired for you know, be observant, learn, ask questions and be teachable because, you know, for example, we just hired somebody to oversee our ticket office and group sales. And, you know, he's a a fresh out of college guy. And, um, you know, I've known him for a lot of years, but, you know, regardless, you know, I told him when I was hiring him, I said, listen, you know, your job is to do what is asked of you, but to also ask questions to make yourself better. But it's also my job to be a mentor to you to help prepare you, whether it be here or somewhere else, to move up in your career and you know, grow and, and experience new things. And so, you know, even though he's designated as our ticket office and group salesperson, he's definitely gonna get an opportunity to do other things here. And it's my job to make sure that he does so that he can then, you know, again, grow up the chain here or go somewhere else to to take the next step in his career.
0: Yeah, it's a great point and and I'm sure that in multiple and pretty much all of our teams in the futures league there's got people like that who are just starting off and getting that advice from GMs and taking that to heart so that's
2: great.
1: Yeah, and I'll tell you we we've obviously got a great group of GMs as you know throughout the league and you know I I know every single one of them feels the same way I do in in trying to mentor people to, you know, move up the chain or take the next step because we all know we're not going to be here forever. You know, we we've all got other career aspirations or even if we plan to stay in the league, I mean, we, we can't work forever. So we want to make sure to prepare the next generation to be able to take over and, and increase what the league is doing.
0: Yeah. That's the goal. Just trying to trying to keep the futures league going and whether you're, whether you're here forever or not, you never know. Absolutely. yeah. On your, so next question here on your C unicorn bio, it mentions that you have a passion for sales and obviously sports, and you've been able to put that together in your general manager position how have the unicorns allowed you to do that and and allowed you to explore both the sales and sports part of your uh of your passion
1: yeah so you know obviously at the the minor league or or now at the collegiate summer level there's so much involved in sales whether it be sponsorships or group tickets or you know marketing of stuff and and so I think a lot of people really don't realize that when they say, oh, I want to work in sports, you know, because I, I love baseball or whatever else. And, you know, I, I always tell people, okay, you want to work in sports, that's awesome, but you're going to have to learn how to sell stuff, right? And so by taking the sports uh, the sales background that I had prior to coming to the organization, I've been able to be able to take my skills as a salesperson and really sell something that I'm passionate about, which is baseball and the entertainment value of baseball. And so it's been a nice transition. And, um, you know, it, it just, you know, again, especially since taking over as GM, now being the lead sponsorship salesperson and, and overseeing all of the marketing and the promotional activity and stuff, it's really gotten my creative juices flowing that much more over the last couple of years. And, um, you know, I, I think I, I'd have a hard time doing it if I didn't have that previous sales background.
0: Yeah, you talked about it, the creativity and the ability to talk to these sponsors and knowing how passionate you are about baseball and being able to display that to them, it, it must do wonders for you.
1: It does. It really helps a lot. And, and the same could be said about any sport if I were working in a different sport too. But, you know, as you could tell from my bio, baseball has been pretty much my entire life. And so, again, you know, even though it took me a long time to circle back to working in baseball, that other previous sales experience it
0: just did wonders for me yeah 100 percent. and your background in sales your background in sports it all started during your undergrad years at eastern connecticut state what was your time like there and what was what were you taught there that's helped you in your career
1: well you know i, I tell you I, I had a lot of great mentors at eastern um you know one of them being coach bill Hollowaddy, obviously a wildly successful collegiate baseball coach um you know four national titles to his credit thankfully i was there for one of them uh, which was probably outside of my kids being born the most exciting time of my life um you know and, and other mentors that i had there that some of them are still there some of them brought me back there to to work a part-time job at one point before coming here and um you know i, I had a lot of great great experiences there as a student as as a student coach for the baseball team and you know i worked within the athletic department while i was there too and and You know, just without all those people that were there for me to help teach me and guide me and how to be a better professional, um, I don't know that I'm here today. And, And that's why when I think back on all of what those people did for me, that's why I want to be able to give back now to the next generation.
0: Yeah, that's perfectly said. And it leads perfectly into my next question, which is about Coach Bill Halawati and what he has taught you. What has he taught you? What's the most important thing that you got out of him learning under him as an assistant baseball coach?
1: It, you know, it's to bring the same mentality every day. You know, we used to talk about, even though the, the school's nickname is Warriors, we used to talk about being Bulldogs all the time. And, you know, it's that Bulldog mentality of, you know, bringing your A game every day, you know, no matter what you're doing, whether it's on the baseball field or, you know, as, as a student, your academics, or, um, you know, now in my career here with sales and, and promotions, it's, you know, you're not being mean about anything, but you're you're really just giving your all every day to to what you're doing and try to be as successful as you can. And and if you can do that, then you can look back and say, okay, yeah, maybe we had some misses, but we were still successful because I gave it my all every day. And that was the probably the biggest thing that Coach Alawadi taught me.
0: Yeah, for any then that applies to anything. So that's that's great that he was able to teach you that. And now you can use that in pretty much any position that you have for
2: your hundred percent.
0: And you mentioned it. It was one of the best times in your life on that 1998 championship team. I, the floor is all yours. I'd love to hear about it because it, it, it was cool. It was certainly cool reading about it.
1: Yeah, no, you know, I, I was very fortunate. You know, I was um, I was in my second year as as a student assistant coach. And so, you know, I spent most of my time with the JV team that, you know, over those two years um, kind of served as a pitching coach at the JV level. But, you know, I I... I used my bulldog mentality that coach hallowed taught me. And I kind of forced my way into a lot of the varsity games, at least at home, if we didn't have a JV game and I made it so that when the postseason came around, that there was no doubt that he was going to take me with them. And, you know, I kind of worked as the, the bullpen coach during, during that time. And, um, you know, I tell you, we, we had some great guys, some, some great players. Uh, Scott Chasen was our, our all American closer. And it was easy, you know, being the bullpen coach because I used to actually joke with the scouts who would come down and watch him start to warm up and be like, All right, guys, he's going in. And 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 then we all just walk in because we knew once Scott came into the game it was over and we didn't have to sit in the bullpen anymore. But um, yeah, that that was just such an amazing run and and it went by so fast, you know. Um that that whole season, we opened a new stadium on campus that year and we were having a great year, and and I don't know that any of us we all knew we were a contender, but you know how many of us really truly knew we could win the whole thing until we got down to Salem Virginia and, and we're there and you know we're playing in a minor league park there and and you know Eastern New Stadium was a big boost to us for that too because it allowed us to play in a nice new facility and I don't think we were overwhelmed by that big stadium like some of the other teams might have been. And, and again, we just, we brought that mentality every day that nobody could beat us and and we just took it to them, you know, and and it was, it was so much fun. Uh, You know, I, I I think back on, on all of that with such fond memories and, you know, whenever we can get together again, whether it's small groups or large groups, it's always so good to see all those guys and, you know, see how everybody's doing and, and just talk about the memories from that.
0: Yeah. I was one of the questions I always ask everybody on this podcast is favorite all-time baseball memory. And it, it sounds like that's your answer for that one.
1: Yeah. That, that's a pretty easy choice. You know, I mean, I, I, I was an okay player through high school. I obviously at that time thought I was better than I really was. But um, you know, when, when I was in high school, we, we didn't win much. I never even made a state tournament as a high school player. Um, you know, so to be able to, to be part of that at Eastern was, was just truly amazing. And, you know, and I'm still obviously making memories because I get to now work in baseball and, and help sell the game and, and you know, promote the game. And, and so I'm hoping that, you know, there's a Futures League championship down the road for us that can uh, maybe rival that that championship that I won at Eastern as well.
0: Yeah, there's always room for more championships. Never enough. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and as we're talking about teams from eastern of the past the current team is doing very well and they had a lot of success last year plenty of eastern players spread across you guys and the new britain bees of course the two connecticut teams in our league what was it like seeing their success especially knowing that you had the success that you did there and and watching what they've been doing
1: yeah i mean it's it's always good to see your alma mater do well right whether that's uh high school alma mater college alma mater whatever and you know, and Eastern had a little bit of a downturn, you know, for a while. They were always still a good team, but to, to see them get back to that national level and, and ultimately win that championship last year as an alum was, was just, you know, it was great to see. And, um, you know, they had a great group of kids, great group of coaches. Uh, you know, the head coach and, and some of the other coaches moved on after the year to new positions. Some of the players have graduated, but they've, they've got a lot of guys back. And, and you're right, they're off to another good start. Will that ultimately lead to a national championship again time will tell but um you know they, they've got they've got some players there and i'm sure we'll see a lot of those players in the league again
0: yeah we're looking forward to having even more eastern connecticut state guys spread across the futures league and they'll, they'll be coming in droves i'm we're ready for it yeah for sure and transitioning now from your undergrad to grad school which was obviously many years apart you went to grad school at southern new hampshire from 2015 to 2018 what was your motivation to go to grad school because, as I said, it was it was a couple of years after you had graduated from uh, Eastern Connecticut. Yeah, it was it
1: was more than a couple. Um, you know, so there was that was a time in my life where I was going through some transitions. Uh, my position with the uh, company that I had been with in sales was eliminated. and so I had lost my position there. and um, like I said, my some of my old mentors at Eastern had brought me back already to work in the athletic department on a part-time basis covering game management and so you know I was going through this time where I was wanting to get back into working in sports but I didn't have the quote-unquote experience necessary to you know grab a job right away and so between my time at Eastern and and working some other part-time jobs to help make sure I had some money coming in I decided that it might be a good time to get my master's degree because my focus was really on trying to find collegiate jobs at that point and and i knew my master's degree would go a long way so southern new hampshire was great because it was an online program that i could do at my pace Um, their class schedule was awesome because they only run 10 weeks at a time you could take a week off and then jump right into another class if you want and so i just kept rolling right through that one class at a time and it only took me about two two and a half years maybe to to finalize my master's degree at that pace, which was tremendous. And, um, you know, while I didn't necessarily need that position to land the position with the, the Tigers, uh, there's no doubt that it helped me, you know, it helped me learn some new things because when I went to Eastern as an undergrad, they didn't have a sport management major at the time. So I majored in communications, with a focus on public relations, which, was awesome for what I'm doing now too, but to learn all those new techniques and everything that they were teaching in the sport management master's program in Southern New Hampshire just absolutely helped me with with what I'm doing now.
0: Yeah, and we've talked to a number of uh, GMs and coaches about this and, and the sport management degree and how important that has been to added curriculums at many colleges and and to try and get positions like you as GM and, and owners across the Futures League as well. And it, it's just so important now because you get the business background with trying to learn the sport industry. And I think that's just, that's, that's been a great addition to curriculum curriculums all across the country.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And I, I hope that the programs continue to grow. I know that, you know, my oldest son now is a freshman at Springfield college and he's majoring in sport management too. So, you know, what happens with him down the road, we'll see, but, um, I know he's enjoying majoring in sport management and and everything that, could possibly happen for him down the road and you know so i, I hope that those programs continue to grow and, and do well for for the students that want to major in it
0: yeah as do i 100 percent. so you mentioned grad school we talked about undergrad and i wanted to ask what is the most influential thing that you were learn that you learned or were taught about the sport industry and how are you applying that to what you do every day
1: you know, I don't know that there's any one thing that, that I was taught that I would apply to it. Um, you know, I just think it was the overall body of everything because what was great about, you know, with the social, with the sports management uh, the master's degree program, you know, there was just so many things. There was an event, you know, leadership class. There was, you know, all kinds of different marketing stuff. You know, and even going back to, to my undergrad days with communications degree that I mentioned and, and focusing on public relations it. It really taught me, you know, how to work with and deal with so many different aspects of what we deal with on a daily basis, whether that be fans, sponsors, uh, community leaders, business leaders, you know, even the city uh, leaders. So, um, you know, I I really think that instead of just one thing, it was really everything that I learned throughout that time. And, And obviously my experiences, too, have helped just kind of shape everything that I do.
0: Yeah, that's great. And you talk about experience, and that's so important. And what we were taught—I went to UMass Amherst, and what we were taught there is getting involved, getting experience, getting your foot in the door as quick as you can, trying to get these entry-level positions, like we talked about, and and just staying involved and and staying active in the in the sport industry.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And and again, that goes back to what I was saying earlier too about whenever I get asked to speak to a high school class or uh, college classes, and and the question always comes up, you know, what is your advice? And, and you're right. It's even starting in high school, you know, try to get a part-time job at a place like, you know, Dodd stadium or, or another stadium close by, because even that little bit of experience, even working in a concession stand that doesn't seem glamorous can still help you out with, you know, you're forward facing, you're dealing with the fans, you're dealing with the public. And, you know, so all that kind of stuff just helps you. And, and if you're observant and ask questions, then you're going to learn that much faster. And, you know, obviously the, the entry-level positions, sometimes you're doing the grunt work that nobody else really wants to do, or, um, you know, you're, you're just, you're doing so many things that help you kind of decide what you like best. Right. And, and so, um, even if it's not ultimately what you do down the road and, you know, and in a lot of cases, you know, obviously we're a smaller operation, so everything kind of runs together, but you know, you get that operation side of thing, and you get that business side of thing at other levels. And, you know, by working both sides of that early on, you really do get to see what you like best and try to work towards that.
0: Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. That's, yeah, that's what and that's what they always taught too, um, during these sport classes, and as you said, the leadership classes and stuff like that. So that's great. Yeah, definitely. So, like, and i have to ask as a gm your perspective on the new major league rules what your thoughts are with the pitch clock and the bigger bases and and whatever else
1: yeah i mean um you know obviously it'll be interesting to see whenever we might implement those at our level too but um you know i, I think that you know the pitch clock i think was needed mostly for a mentality change um you know obviously even I feel as a, as a true baseball fan that the games have started to drag out a little too long at times. There's nothing worse than watching a pitcher who takes 45 seconds between pitches and a hitter who may or may not be ready even at that 45 seconds. So I think the mentality change more than anything else is why the pitch clock was needed. I wouldn't even be surprised if five years down the road, they feel like they don't need it anymore and they've eliminated it because now everybody will have worked with the pitch clock from college all the way up through the minors and into the majors. Um, you know, as far as the bigger bases go, you know, time will tell. I mean, obviously, you know, it's, it, it's a three-inch change, you know, so a total of, what, six inches on the base path is, is the difference. I don't know how much of a change that's really going to lead to, but, hey, if it does create a few more stolen base opportunities, that's an exciting play in the game of baseball, right? It's so many moving parts from the, t- the runner trying to time the pitcher perfectly for it, for his time to steal. And then the pitch being perfect, the catcher throwing a perfect throw to whoever's covering second base or third base. And so it's an exciting play. And I think that's really what major league baseball is trying to get back to is creating more of those exciting plays because, you know, Theo Epstein, obviously great, great general manager and, and you know, A lot of guys like him who have created these three true outcomes of baseball, whether it's a a strikeout, a walk or a home run, you know, that's all well and good to try to get your 27 outs. But you need more excitement in the game because I I do feel like a large segment of the population has become bored with the game. And it's unfortunate,
0: but uh, I, I really just think a lot of these changes are more about mentality than anything else yeah agreed and the stolen base thing i guess i, I never really thought of it but like that how increasing the bases creates more stolen bases which is such a big part of the game now and and you you talked about the excitement and you know a couple of years ago it was maybe changing the balls or already changing the balls to create more home runs stuff like that to try and get especially the younger generation back into the game so that's a great point about the, the bases for sure
1: yeah and, and you know everybody loves home runs but really what's more exciting a home run which has what a few seconds of of the ball traveling over the fence for excitement, or, you know, Hey, let's see that guy hit the ball down the line or or into the gap and see if he can turn a double into a triple, which I think is even more exciting. And that's where I think the shift changes is probably one of the best rules, even though I hate to see the leaders of the game, try to tell people how to play the game. um, I just, again, it's a mentality thing with the fans where you're trying to create that excitement again in the game of baseball.
0: Yeah, I was 50-50 on the shift thing, too, because you said it. The, there's the excitement of the game, but it's also there's so much strategy there when you pull the shift like that, when you know exactly where a guy's going to hit the ball and then he does it, and it's like the managers are all, like, laughing, like, hey, I was right.
1: Yeah, well, and, and quite honestly, too, we're still going to see it. I mean, instead of sending the third baseman or the shortstop out the deep right field, it's going to be the left fielder that comes over there, and they're going to dare you to hit the ball to left field still. And nobody, no left-hander has said, okay, I'm just going to start trying to hit the ball to left field. Because yeah. it's a hard thing to do, right? It's you're putting a swing on, and unless you're Tony Gwynn or Wade Boggs, you're not that capable of putting the ball where you want every single time, especially against a 101 mile an hour pitch. So the chances are you are still going to pull it. And I expect to see a lot of left fielders playing short right field this year.
0: Yeah, the Red Sox were doing that. Now a couple of teams are following their lead. And you said it, these pitchers are only getting stronger and faster, and it's trying to hit a ball the other way is not as easy as it looks anymore.
1: Yeah, and you know, and speaking of rule changes, you go back a couple years ago when they made the change that any reliever that comes in has to face three batters minimally unless an inning ends. You know, even that from a strategy perspective, I didn't like that rule change, but I understood why Major League Baseball was trying to do it because, you know, you're getting less trips to the mound, less constant change. And, you know, I, I long for the days of Nolan Ryan throwing seven, eight, nine innings and 150 plus pitches. And I know we're not going to see that again because guys are more reluctant to, you know, have pitchers throw a hundred plus pitches anymore for for fear of hurting their arm. But I got to tell you, you know, I'm in my mid forties now, and I can remember in the eighties, there weren't very many arm injuries that ended up turning into Tommy John surgery. And now we're seeing a lot more of those and it's not so much the kids that are trying to throw breaking balls too early, which everybody was afraid of for a long time. It's more about the velocity and all of these kids trying to throw as hard as possible before they've reached their full growth. And I think that more than anything else is probably causing a lot more of these arm injuries.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And, and you talk about, you know, the the relievers not being in the game anymore and, and pitchers not, I miss that too. I miss the seven, eight inning, nine inning outings, just the complete games were always so fun when you're watching yeah. pitch do that. And it feels like ancient history now.
1: For sure. For sure. And, and, you know, I've always laughed at the stat that, you know, talked about a, a quality start being, six innings with three or less earned runs given up. Well, if a a starting pitcher pitches to a 4.50 ERA and we're considering that a quality start, I think there's something wrong there to begin with. And now nobody can make that quality start anymore because a starting pitcher is expected to go four or five innings
0: and then you bring in a parade of relievers. Yeah, as you said, long for the days, long for the days. (laughs) Before we return to Back to the Futures, we want to share a message from our friends at Zorian Back Company. Rob Zorian started the company Zorian Bat Company in 2003, literally out of the trunk of his car in Davie, Florida. Within two years, he was selling his wood bat line to Major League Baseball and continues to manufacture the highest grade wood bats for Little League all the way up to the majors. Rob Zorian, founder and president of Zorian says, I started the company in 2003 to service all baseball players in the United States and beyond. And after 19 years, our mission has not changed. We are very excited to have the opportunity to work with the Futures League and wish all of our players and coaches a healthy and successful season ahead. For more information about Zorian, visit their website, ZorianBats.com. Zorian, America's baseball brand. Now, back to Back to the Futures. And transitioning back to the Sea Unicorns for a second, you mentioned it earlier, you guys have a new coach in Kevin Murphy. What are you expecting from him this year, and, and why was he the guy for you guys?
1: So Kevin's a guy I've known for a while. He was actually a player at Eastern when I was there as a part-time worker in in event management. And, you know, I got to know him fairly well at that point in time. And I I was always very impressed by his baseball acumen. Um, He's a guy who, even when, as a, a player and student, did a lot of coaching. He, I think, did some umpiring as well. So he really, for a young guy, has a lot of knowledge and knows the ins and outs of the games very well. And, um, you know, I think that as he starts off his coaching career, uh, you know, at this level, I, I really think that he's going to develop into a very, very good baseball coach. And, you know, I, I definitely could have gone with somebody with more experience if, if I wanted to. But I really feel like when he came here as an assistant coach last year, guys kind of gravitated towards him. And I saw that. And, and that also impressed me. And, and obviously losing Devin Bolensky after last year was tough. He had been the manager through the first two seasons and we enjoyed having him. And, and so we're sad to see him go, but um, I really think that Kevin is is going to do an outstanding job for us. And, you know, I hope I can keep him here for a few years, but I think his future is so bright in coaching that it's going to be hard to hold on to him for a long time.
0: Yeah. We are certainly going to miss Devin, but it sounds like Kevin is the guy and you talked about, and we talked about it earlier guys within the organization, making an impact one year and moving up the next year. And you said if he, if he has players gravitating toward him, that's that's all you could ask for.
1: A hundred percent, yeah. Because what the one thing you obviously need at this level is, you know, it's not like we get a spring training, right? These guys come to us, and you know, sometimes we're lucky to even get them before the season starts for any workouts. And so, if a coach is able to kind of be a magnet and, and get guys to to play hard for them, I you know, it, it's such an important thing. and with so little time to get ready for the season I, on the players' end of it that that's a huge thing. So I, I really think Kevin is definitely the, the right fit for that type of position.
0: Absolutely. And every C unicorn player, coach, personnel I've had on here, I have to ask you as well. You're no different. The C unicorn nickname. What do you think about it?
1: Personally? I love it. I mean, I, I don't know what other guys have said in the past, you know, but we, we still get a lot of kickback from the community and, and some fans on social media, but you know, when we were going through that name change and we were still part of minor league baseball, that was the trend. And it still is. The trend is yeah. You've got a a logo that in our case is a narwhal. It's a real animal, but as much as Norwich narwhals makes a lot of alliteration sense, that wasn't the direction of minor league baseball at the time. It was to create a fun name that makes sense with the character and just go with it. And, and, you know, I always point to the Hartford yard goats because obviously they're right up the road from us and, and they experienced a lot of that same stuff, but people don't, people still don't know what a yard goat is. And, and it's obviously got nothing to do with the actual animal, but they're still one of the top five selling brands in the country in minor league baseball. And so for us, um, you know, obviously the logo is tremendous and and the sea unicorn's name is, is perfect for what it is that we're trying to accomplish.
0: Yeah. I remember going to the stadium and seeing how packed the gift shop was of people wanting to buy sea unicorns merchandise. So that, that's, that's great that you mentioned the yard goats.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's funny for us. I mean, we're, we're five years into the name change, obviously it'll be our, um, well, four years into the name change right now, but you know, being our third season, actually playing with the name, I mean, we, we still are selling quite a bit of merchandise as well, with is awesome and you know if we can do half of what the yard goats did with with our merchandise we'll be very happy with that
0: absolutely and one final question for you i ask pretty much everybody this and and i i want to ask your opinion on it too what do you believe the importance is of summer baseball and how important do you think it is to grow the game of baseball through leagues like summer ball leagues like this
1: well that, that's a great question and one that i've talked a lot about um, obviously You know, we're not the only team that has gone from being an affiliated minor league team to now being a collegiate summer league. And, you know, I I point this out a lot. Um, This is what Major League Baseball wants now, right? Is they want, there's actually more collegiate summer league teams now than there is minor league teams that are affiliated in pro ball. And they want this, you know, they, as much as we want it for our community, they want it too, to be able to continue to watch players develop And they get the added benefit of obviously they're not under contract at this point. So they can see them develop without having to pay them. But, you know, I I think forgetting that part of it, they just want to see these kids continue to play at a high level, develop their skills. And that's what these leagues are providing now. And, you know, I know the Cape Cod league has been around for a long time and it's, is definitely the number one summer collegiate league in the country. And there's some others that have been around for a long time as well. But, you know, whether it's the NECBL or now the Futures League, which is growing in, in great strides, you know, um, getting more of these kids in here that, that are already really good players and watching them develop. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll use one of our players from last year as a great example. Actually, I'll, I'll throw a couple of examples out there. Um, you know, last year we had Zach Zions from Bryant University, who unfortunately was injured last spring and didn't get to play at all for Bryant, comes to us gets a chance to develop, gets into a game, and his very first collegiate at bat this year is a home run that I'm not sure even he would have expected. And so to be able to watch that was tremendous. And then obviously the other thing I like about our league is is the rule that we have where we could take rising freshmen. And we had a couple of really good rising freshmen last year. And, um, you know, I put an alumni spotlight out last, you know, last week about Chris Maldonado, who came to us from Tom's River area in New Jersey. Uh, high school player who was going to be going to Vanderbilt and and came here and played for us. And I'll tell you, you know, he was voted, you know, the best pro prospect in our league, which was amazing for a rising freshman, but it was different. You know, I, I can remember vividly. I went to our final game of the year in Pittsfield last year, and it was the first chance I had had all season, obviously to sit and watch as a fan. And, you know, they always talk about the ball sounding different off the bat of a guy who, you know, is going to go somewhere. But with Chris, I was amazed that listening to the ball coming out of his hand when he was throwing it across the diamond and how different it sounded from everybody else. And I'm like, I've never heard of that before in, in my own head. And so to see that and now to see him, you know, he's he's now at Vanderbilt as a freshman, didn't play much the first week or so, but now he's he's starting almost every game for Vanderbilt, hitting really well, hit his first career home run the other day. And so, you know, I think that leagues like ours, and, and especially our league, are vitally important to the growth of baseball as as these generations continue to want to play and better themselves.
0: Yeah, those are two perfect examples of guys who have u- used the Futures League to their advantage, and, and it's great to see the, them continue to do well at their schools.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, then that, that excites me every year, you know, we'll get a few guys back from previous years, but to see new guys every year and then watch their growth as they move on with their college careers. is just awesome.
0: Yeah, that's great. And it's going to be a fun summer in 2023 with so many new faces in the futures league. We can't wait to get started. Lee Walter jr. General manager of the Norwich unicorns. Thank you so much for joining me today and for the great answers. And uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, in a couple of months here for opening day.
1: Yeah, it was great chatting with you today, Owen, and and certainly looking forward to late May when the season
0: gets started. Yeah, it, it is almost that time. The weather's kind of bad today, but we'll we'll get past it, and uh, and summer's coming soon. Yeah,
1: no doubt. Well, we
0: can't complain about
1: the weather too much, considering how easy the winter's been on us. So,
0: hundred percent, hundred percent. And this has been season six, episode five of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures League. We have new episodes coming out every Thursday. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see everyone soon.